Birthday would recount that her father had actually said, Never darken my doors again. This was poetic license, but the message ran along those lines. There was a short, cold exchange in the drawing room where the two couples sat on sofas, confronting one another across a great bowl of lilies whose scent filled the room. From elsewhere in the house came the loud, assertive voices of Lorna's two older brothers, joshing one another. At one point the parlour-maid knocked to ask if tea would be required. Lorna's mother replied that it would not. There was no shouting on this occasion. Marion Bradley was aggrieved and petulant. Her husband had withdrawn into a mood of disgruntled dismissal. A great gulf opened into which the lilies sweetly fumed. Everything that might be said hung in the air until none of them could stand it any longer and Lorna went up to her room to gather up a suitcase of clothes while Matt waited in the hall. Downstairs, Gerald had a stiff whisky and Marion rang for the maid. Perhaps tea wasn't such a bad idea after all. What was so appalling about an artist? Lorna would wonder much later. There was art on their walls. They bought pictures. Daddy had William Nicholson paint Mummy's portrait. And Matt would laugh. Exactly. Tradesmen, not the sort of people you want marrying your daughter. Irregular habits, erratic income. He was quite right. Relations were resumed within a few months, of a kind. Letters and Christmas cards were exchanged. By that time, Lorna had become someone else, perhaps the person that she was always meant to be. Her mother wrote breezy little missives about social events and the boys' sporting fixtures, For Lorna's birthday, she sent a silk purse from Harrods. Opening this at the kitchen table in Somerset, Lorna felt as though she were in receipt of goods from another planet. Her previous life seemed now like a myth, somewhere she had dreamed away in her early years. Matt knew only that he was entirely happy, wholly in love, and that years of this rolled ahead, waiting for him. When she was a child, Lorna did not understand that London is a huge city. Oh, it went quite away, she realised that. She had been on the bus right from Kensington to Piccadilly Circus. And the park was immense, a great green expanse reaching from the homely, familiar base of the Round Pond and Kensington Gardens to distant Park Lane. But that was the extent of it. Beyond that, well, she really had not much idea if there was anything beyond that except that there were outposts to which she had been taken, like Buckingham Palace and that other park alongside, and Trafalgar Square with the lions, and the great wide glitter of the river. It was not until much later, years later, in time of war, when the bombs were falling, that she heard of Poplar and Stepney and Lambeth, and somewhere called the City of London. But by then she was far away, amid the Somerset hills, alone, a child on her knee, anxiously tuning the wireless for the six o'clock news each evening. The world was in flames, and London with it, both the London she had known and that other London of which she had been entirely ignorant. At those moments, it seemed to her that time and space compacted. She dipped back into that other place where they knew nothing of what was to come, and felt some strange kind of compassion. She spent her childhood in Brunswick Gardens, in a big white stucco house flanked by other big white stucco houses from which emerged each day men much like her father, wearing dark suits and bowler hats, carrying furled umbrellas, and women much like her mother, in silks and furs, and children much like herself, who trotted beside nannies pushing high, shiny prams. 
When she was small, her day revolved around the afternoon walk to the round pond and drawing room tea later with her mother, if her mother was at home. This was a timeless period from which there floated up occasional images, the jewel green feathers of a preening duck, a golden cavern in the coals of the nursery fireplace, the treasure trove of a gleaming brown conkers in long wet grass. Later, when she was older, there were morning lessons with other little girls and a governess in a neighbour's house, and later still she went to the Academy for Young Ladies on the farther side of Kensington High Street, where she did French and piano and some history and poetry and elocution, until she was seventeen and it was felt, supposedly, that she had learned enough by now. Her brothers, two years and four years older than she was, had long since been hived off into an exclusive male world. They had vanished into boarding schools and had come back in long trousers with hoarse voices talking in code. Then they disappeared again to Oxford.